I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Others lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. Here's the fangirls on Jackalope Radio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the Fangirl Radio Show. I'm your host, Jessica Dwyer, and with me, as always, my uh, cohort in crime, which I know she hates it when I say that, but it is true, Miss Renwell X. Hello. 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 It's been a while. It has been a while, and we are happy to have you back. Yay! Yay! So, uh, this episode uh, is going to be a great one. I'm really excited. I'm, after many uh, attempts at scheduling, I am going to finally be talking with the director of Fright Night 2, Eduardo Rodriguez. Woohoo! Um, and Eduardo uh, took on a, a task, and I'm, I, it's really hard to describe Fright Night 2. Um, it looks like it's going to be great because Jamie Murray is in it. And you can um, read my interview with her up on fangirlmagazine.com, fangirlmag.com. Um, we uh, had a great interview where she gave me some insight into this movie and her character and all the work that she did. And she did a lot of research for this role. Um, but Fright Night 2 is sort of not a sequel, but a remake even though it's sort of a remake of a sequel. <laughs> you explained this on Facebook and I still didn't understand. It, it's really kind of hard to define because it's called Fright Night 2, which there was already a Fright Night 2 with a female vampire who was the sister of Jerry Dandridge in the original. Okay. But in this one, the female vampire is a female version of Jerry Dandridge. Hmm. And it's called Fright Night 2. So it's not a remake of the original Fright Night 2. It's a remake of the original Fright Night, but kind of also a sequel to the remake of the original Fright Night. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's really the best way to describe it. it. It hits DVD and I believe video on demand on October 1st. So you'll have this in time for Halloween. And, and Jamie Murray, you may remember from Dexter as Lila, who was almost more dangerous than Dexter himself. Um, she was a great, beautiful woman and uh, just an amazing actress. She was also in Spartacus. And she just, um, she looks amazing in this movie. As, as, a, as And she really kind of does look like if Colin Farrell became a woman uh, in, the, in the exclusive clip we have up that I finally got to work on our site, uh, it she really kind of does look like the female equivalent of Colin Farrell. It is, it's really well done. I, I'm, I'm kind of, I was that I was, the goal. I think so. <laughs> I, think, I think they cast this to, you know, it is Jerry Dandridge, a female version of him. So 
I think they went for that, and they did a great job with the casting. Gender swap the whole thing with a female Peter Vincent color Petra yeah. Petra Vincent Absolutely. Petra Vincent the great vampire killer, and Charlie would be uh, uh, the Charlie. girl. Yeah, and then Amy would be Eddie, I guess. That's right. a good one. I was going to say Adam, but Eddie. <laughs> Adam would also work. Adam Peterson. Yeah. Um, but the the interesting thing here is. Jerry is still very interested in Amy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, we're going to have Eduardo on later in the show. And I'm, I'm, I'm very excited because we've been trying to get this scheduled for a while now. And uh, I'm, I'm very curious to find out how it was to take on something like this, which is kind of undefinable um, film in a great franchise that people really, really love. And, yeah, so that's going to be a great interview i'm really excited um but this week we have uh some week in geek for you and um i guess a bitch fest in the uh, tech <laughs> world at least on my side ren is going to spend the episode berating me about how great android is now because ios 7 has hit and infected everyone's iphones yes Bum, bum, bum. Steve Jobs is rolling in his grave um, with the with the release of iOS seven. Um, it is not just me who is very unhappy with this. Um, pretty much everybody in the world mm. is disappointed with um, what they have now been subjected to on their iPhone. I, uh, I have read one or two converts who said okay after all it's not that bad but it is interesting that it is a worldwide i've got friends in london who are like oh my god i'm not upgrading this sounds horrible so yeah it's definitely everybody across the globe is experiencing this interesting tech kerfuffle which that in itself is kind of cool just from a futurist point of view well it and and the thing is there's there's bugs at least i hope it's a bug that they the the one major major gripe that i have is i'm one of those people that swaps out their um their home screen yeah their home screen and their lock screen often you know just to to have a different uh look to it and boy you mean different boy or a different boy yeah. yeah or my puppy if i want my dog i have dog pictures okay I have dog pictures. Um, but anyway, the, the, the thing that's going on, the one big complaint that I have, other than it looks like they're trying to turn it into a Windows phone because of all these horrible colors that they've added now to it, um, is the fact that the, the scale feature no longer works. It says you can scale the photos, but it won't work. Either it's not designed to do that anymore or the scaling is a complete and utter lie. And so when you try to do that with your phone now, with if you have, say, uh, a, a, you know, a, a larger format photo, which typically your iPhone will take those, too, if you're trying to just do your own personal photo on there, um, it's not allowing you to scale the size down to match the size of your screen on your phone. And that was just a simple, typical feature right. that is now gone. So your background image, which used to, it would, it would you know adjust the photo to fill the space of the screen, 
Now you get like the top left corner of it and you miss the body of the exactly. image because it's too stinking big and you can't make it fit the screen. Right. And it's got this weird um, new thing where you can move if you like tilt your screen and you can turn this off, but it's like a pain in the ass to get to it, um, that it'll move your screen around the photo. I don't want that. <laughs> That's distracting and weird. Uh, so there's just a lot of problems and, you know, people are, there's also a lot of, uh, issues now where people are having to, the, the security settings are, are not okay anymore. You have to go in, uh, they're, they're making the rounds. A lot of people have figured out how to resolve these security issues but you I, I did mine last night and you have to go into the guts of your phone in the setting screens and find these and Is uh, it, are you talking more than just the fingerprint because i read articles this morning about yes, fingerprint insecurity because, but is, are there other security settings that are equally there, ineffective there are other security settings and things that are tracking you and 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 sending safari um data uh, to out into the ether for people no like no like. And the other big complaint that I have uh, is the battery life. Oh, oh yes. Um, People are saying that once they updated um, from iOS 6 to uh, the the battery life of their iPhone 5, mind you, not the 4. And, And keep in mind that the 4 absolutely apparently sucks when now that you have an iOS 7 on it. When you update your 4, it's just going to be screwed. Um, but the iPhone 5, which is what I have, dropped from a 661-minute battery life to 444 minutes. That's standby or talk time? Um, that is, I just, I just think, just regular battery life. And, and, just, uh, just being on but not being just used. Being on. So that would be standby time, yeah. Right. And that's, that's like, like a third. That's a third of the life of the thing. And I can tell you, like, just what I do is I'll, I, I'm a, what you would call a, a, a data hog at, when I'm at work. I have my headphones on. I'm streaming, like, music and whatever, talk radio. Uh, I, I have, like, Netflix on that I'm listening to in the background and that kind of thing. And I have my, I have my phone plugged in the whole time when I'm doing this. It actually went down to 85%. It was what? almost like it couldn't keep up with it. It was what went down to eighty five percent. My battery. Oh, yeah. So it's just really horrible drain now, and it, it the also the the swiping that you have to do on this phone is really really strange. You've got to be very particular, or you'll be dragging down your the um, the the drag down that lets you like scroll through. Um, your calendar and things like that. Um, it will come down when you're just trying to get the search option. The notification show- bar shows up when. Yeah, you're- and yeah, if you it used to be you could double tap your home button at the bottom of your phone and go to your search where you look for um, apps and things on your phone. You can't do that anymore. It's you have to slightly get into the middle of your screen and drag <laughs> down. Why would they remove a function like double-click the home button? Did they make that do something else now? Did they replace that function? Yes. What it does is it sucks everything down and shows you full, like, many versions of the last screens that you had open and the apps that you had open. 
And then this is how you swipe to turn off your background apps. Now, instead mm. of the double hit um, doing that before where you could bring them up and then you could um, – I can't even do it anymore because they turned it off. But you used to be able to double hit your button and it would bring up the, the bottom row and then you could – Hold oh, right. I've done that on my iPad. Double hit right. the button, and then all your open apps show up in a row right. on the bottom. If that's not the case. You have to, this, this thing comes up, and then you have to swipe them away to the top of the screen to turn that's them off. That's how you turn them off? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not going to waste much more time on this. It's just a horrible update in terms of just massive changes that are more annoying than helpful. And I know there's people out there saying there's some really cool things now in there, but you know what? Your your digital level that they um, they've got now that's part of the um, the compass does not you know negate the annoyance of not being able to change my background photo easily or my lock screen easily to something that can make the phone personal, which is all that what you know Steve Jobs was all about technology being a personal thing for people in this day and age and this is <laughs> this has kind of destroyed that <laughs> there's something else that I've always really I mean though I'm not a big I'm not an Apple user I have a droid phone I have a PC um, but something I've always really appreciated about Apple's UI design is that it seemed like every design decision was very deliberate oh, it was it was kind of like the it was kind of like the um, is a word I'm looking for, but you know the 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 modus of a, of a sculptor, where the idea you know you're chiseling away until there there's nothing left to chisel away, and what you're left with is only what you need. And it seemed like that was the way Apple was designing interface was that the only functionality was just what you needed to make it to make it perfectly accessible and and perfectly simple. And it seems like that kind of clarity of design that everybody knows was brought by Steve um, obviously no more Steve maybe that's lacking a little bit right I think that's true and that's part of the thing that was the beauty of, of, of Steve Jobs you you know a lot of people and myself was part of this too I always thought he was slightly overrated when it came to this but it's not true mm-hmm. he truly made these things beautiful and slick in their function, and 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 there a lot of thought went into that. Now, a lot of a lot of thought went into making it so you didn't have to think at all while using it. That was the glory. It was very bio, like it was very like, you know, very simple. Like I don't, you know, this is what it does. It's very smooth. It's very beautifully done. It's 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 intuitive. Like it's, it's a part of you. Integrates instantly integrates into your life without right. any effort to learn a new system. And yeah, now at this. This is tacky looking crap, and I am not happy. And so I hope, I hope to God, Apple listens and people realize. But, you know, you had these crazy stories already with these people that are going out to buy and paying homeless people to get in line for their phones. So, See, and that's where I... That's, you know, all of my... All the plaudits I just gave to Apple, like, that's that's the point at which I, I draw the line because, oh, my God. Apple users, like, I maybe I should maybe I should narrow that. iPhone users, I sort of I feel bad because you have a phone with 
a operating you know system and that's what you get like you all have to upgrade to this i'm so sorry for you all you know whereas i can buy any number of you know crazy fantastic phones on ebay that take a sim card hundreds of beautiful phones that are all built by different people and they have different interfaces and you know they all work on the Android operating system but it might be different slight different variations of it it's exciting to me that I can that I have that choice picking my last phone I have a Sony Xperia S not sold in this country by any cellular carriers I had to buy it on eBay so it was an unlocked phone and I whack my SIM card in it. it's the most beautiful phone I've ever owned and it's got all kinds of crazy features but it's you know and I got to pick it I got to I got to chisel away my little features. I wanted it to have this and this and this and this, and I got to specify what was inside that phone, not what Apple slapped in my palm and said, "This is what you get." So <laughs> there's my droid rant. Yeah, and I I actually it, it's true. I mean, we are I'm I am heavily invested in Apple, but this has never been a problem with me. I've never had a, a an update go so tits up. To put it mildly, I mean, it, it really, I, I refused. I wonder uh, if it would be like Microsoft operating systems, because, like, I skipped Vista altogether. I just held out for something better. I love 7, and now I feel like I'm just going to skip 8 until they get something <laughs> remotely as good or better than 7. Oh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this, because the, the backlash is hit. You know, people are not pleased. Um, but anyway, that's that's my tech rant for this episode. I, I had to we had to talk about iOS seven and and how it's horrible. Um, but the other thing that happened um, this weekend was the Emmys happened. The Emmys happened, and Breaking Bad uh, is the winner of Best Drama Series, which is not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, Modern Family won again for Best Comedy Series, hmm. which I'm sort of surprised Louie did not take that, even though Louie really isn't a comedy. <laughs> it's more of a path- pathos type of, should I laugh or cry at this point? Oh, it, it really is. Louie is its own brand. It's definitely uh, not completely a comedy, but it's still really, really good. Uh, I was very happy. Um, it, it, I it was kind of a toss up between these two, but for mini best miniseries slash movie, which I'm sort of, I, I really kind of have a problem with them slotting American Horror Story into miniseries because it's a TV series. Yeah, that's a regular show, guys. Yeah, they but they've they've gotten around getting that onto the regular series uh, runs by plopping it into the miniseries categories. Hmm. Uh, but behind the Condelabra won for best movie, which HBO did a that just great flick, very very good movie. Uh, so the one thing that I find I, I'm still having a problem with this: Jim Parsons won again for Big Bang Theory. <laughs> you hate that show so much. <laughs> I. It's not just that though. He he does the same thing over and over and over again but and it's he, still good and he beat Jason Bateman in what arrested development uh. and he also beat Louis CK and Louis uh. so and Alec Baldwin in 30 Rock in its final season I didn't watch final season so that's the uh, somehow 
and somehow Saturday Night Live is still winning for directing for a variety series. <laughs> Sorry. What other variety series is on TV? But I, I, I have to give mad props. Mad, mad props and very well deserved for writing for a miniseries or movie. The Hour, yes. BBC America, with my man Capaldi, yay. won for yay. So that is great. Um, but speaking of television, uh, the fall TV season has started. And we had our first genre show, I think is the first genre show, of the new fall season start, which was Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a review, which you can read up on fangirlmag.com, but I, I'll, we, we will definitely discuss this because Ren got to see it as well. And I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. It was beautifully shot. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to say it like as a... As a side note at the end, but oh my god, the photography was fantastic. Well, and it's I believe that has a lot to do with Lynn Weissman being the guy behind the camera for this. He's a uh-huh. he is the man who brought us Underworld. Oh yeah. And it very had a very slick feel to it. And yeah. I think that is attributable to him, but he is also one of the producers of the show. Okay. And um you have a group of guys that have been a part of like fringe and alias um you've got and they were also part of the star trek franchise as well so these guys know their stuff they know what makes really pretty genre stuff for us to watch Mm -hmm. and i think that has a lot to do with it it also has a lot to do with the talent that was in this show um including clancy brown yep who i kept yelling at the screen there can be only one though (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, because the that irony of voice. what happens to him is is not lost on us. <laughs> yep. And then John Cho, who, as everyone knows, is Sulu in the new no, Star Trek. No, 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 no. He's, he's Harold. He's <laughs> Harold, but these guys worked with him as Sulu, and that's why he's in this show. And somehow he's coming back tonight as of our recording. Yes. And, the we won't, episode. and, and the somehow is paramount. I mean, I was going to, I really wanted to talk about this whole issue I have with the casting on the show, but I didn't want to spoil. So can I, do I have your permission? Yes. Okay. So if you haven't seen it and I mean, it doesn't matter. Watch the first episode anyway. It won't matter. There was like three people in this show, two of whom are actors I was so happy to see. I was thinking, I am totally watching a show with John Cho and Clancy. What's his name? Clancy Clancy Brown. Brown. His name is Clancy Brown. That is just the most ridiculous thing for the curtain. <laughs> Clancy Brown. He anyway. will end you. Yeah, but he's fantastic. These two people are fantastic. And then the priest guy, I also thought was really great. No, they all got beheaded. No, they're all they're all dead, with exception of John Cho. I don't think he got beheaded, but he died. But and he has he has like a him. he kind of got pez headed. Yeah, I, a little bit. Pez headed would be a good description for what. So, so I am pleased to hear that he's in tonight's episode because I was really pissed to find out that like half of the cast, you know, there's like there's Ichabod Crane and then there's the black policewoman and then there's like everybody else and everybody else is now dead. Um, <laughs> and I really wanted to watch a show with Clancy Brown in it. Um, and I'm just, I'm just a little bit disappointed that that's not going to happen. Um, so I'm hoping that they replace these members of the cast with some equally exciting individuals. Well, I have a surprise for you. Is he not dead? 
John Noble is joining the cast. Oh, that's that's good. I can live with that. And and that is that whole fringe connection. So you have all of these net, you know, all these people love working with one another. It's obvious. Mm-hmm. So I think you've got like a great pool of talent that are going to come along for the show as long as Fox doesn't cancel oh, it. Oh god, I hope they don't cancel it. So yes. my the- yeah, my general acceptance was overall really favorable. I dug it. I was it was funny. I I have become lately a little bit sensitive to female characterization in like shows and comics and etc. It's not something I've ever really paid much attention to, but lately it's been on my radar. So I was watching this woman. She's a young police officer. She's in a small backwater town. She just got accepted to Quantico or whatever it is that the FBI recruits from, and she's really excited to move up. And at first, I was kind of at first I was kind of turned off because she did a couple of seemingly wussy things and then she did a couple of badass things and then she did some attitude-y things and I, what, I, what I landed on my final appreciation of her was she had lots of modes. They didn't draw her as one-dimensional and the actress very capably um, made a very coherent character out of it. So it didn't feel disjointed like now she's being weak and now she's being strong it was it was really a person and I was really happy that it seems like this is a very well-rounded um character that I'm going to enjoy watching who's not just got one she's not just the badass cop or the youngster she's kind of all of these things which I really dug and that's you know completely pales in comparison to my overwhelming love of Ichabod Crane because oh my god oh Tom Meissen is he is adorable, and I love the fact that they did not make him your typical geeky, lame Ichabod Crane. You know, like yeah. Johnny Depp played a great Ichabod Crane, but he was still very effeminate, you know, in, one, in a lot of ways. But Ichabod in this show is almost like I said in my review, he could have stepped out of Assassin's Creed. He really is a badass in this. He's not a shrinking violet. And I like the whole mythos that they've built around his connection to the Headless Horseman, mm-hmm. which you know by the end of the series that when the Headless Horseman goes, so does Ichabod because they're connected. I know. And that will be tragic and sad. And and we don't want to see that happen. But at the same time, it they will be. They will find a way. I'm not worried about Ichabod disappearing when the Headless Horseman disappears because it seems like the kind of show that doesn't have a big, that might not have a big issue circumventing their own mythology because it resembles another show that circumvents its own mythology all the time, and that's Supernatural. I got a real Supernatural vibe from it, too. Like, I like I tr- kind of said it was more like a, a Supernatural meets uh, X-Files series you know it's it's really what it reminded me of and some other people are kind of combining it with Twin Peaks as well mm-hmm. uh, I think it's more like Supernatural and X-Files though just because of what I've seen and the fact that they have these two characters that are sort of they are connected uh, destined to be together at well, yeah. these, this sort of a uh, underlying uh, conspiracy in this town Yes, the underlying conspiracy, and also the little things that they were alluding to as going to be big plot points in the future are things like her dead partner's stockpile of, you know, strange goings-on in the city, in the town of Sleepy Hollow over the decades, over the centuries, rather. Right. And these are going to be little things they're going to investigate, like, oh, he has a, 
you know, this week he was investigating witches, and next week he was investigating werewolves. You know, like, I hope it doesn't become that formulaic, because while it works really well on Supernatural, I don't really want another Supernatural. Well, and I don't think it's going to be that. I think it will be more like X-Files in terms of you'll have some episodes that deal with the the conspiracy and then you have Monster of the Week, which I want because I want them to really go with, you know, Sleepy Hollow is one of those great original American horror stories. And this show has already established a, a historical context with Ichabod being part of the Revolutionary War now yep. and we've seen George Washington Good I want George Washington by the way very believable Great. yeah that's why I was like oh my god this is Assassin's Creed um I think it would be really great for them to like flash back to history, show the involvement of all these uh, historical characters throughout the years with these mythological storylines and also focus on uh, specific to the United States and our history of uh, creatures, you know, like have like a Bigfoot in there, have have um, American Indian ties in there. Wendigos. Yeah, Wendigos and things like that. I think it would be really, really awesome to see that really played out because we haven't seen that much other than shows like The X-Files, which we haven't had on the air for very long. And Supernatural has been doing that too in a yep. great way. I really like I- I hadn't considered, actually, you know, I hadn't considered more historical stuff. I sort of almost had just uh, chalked that up to pilot kind of fun things you get to see in a pilot because they have the budget. But if if they can pull it off, if they have the budget to do more period stuff around the Revolutionary War, I would dig the heck out of that. It wouldn't even have to be there. I mean, this stuff has been going on in Sleepy Hollow for all of these decades mm-hmm. and centuries. And it could... You know, why not have flashbacks? I have no doubt we can bring back Clancy Brown to show his investigations into some of this stuff. I think that would be great. So, I miss Clancy already. Yeah, I love him. I, I He endeared himself to me and everything he's ever been in, but I loved it when he walked out on stage at Comic-Con, at my first Comic-Con, and just went up on the, got on the mic and went, what up, my peeps? And everybody <laughs> freaked out because it's the Kurgan. He could have said anything. He could have said anything in that voice. He said, what up, my peeps? <laughs> oh, like, my God. Yes, we are your people, Clancy Brown. <laughs> So uh, Sleepy Hollow, definitely thumbs up. Um, with that, um, we are going to move on to our interview with the director of Fright Night 2, which is hitting DVD and video on demand on October 1st, Mr. Eduardo Rodriguez. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome Eduardo Rodriguez to Fangirl Radio. Um, Eduardo is the director of the very awesome Fright Night 2, The New Blood, which I got to see last night. And um, I want to thank Eduardo for joining us. Hi, how are you, Mr. Rodriguez? I'm doing good. Thanks. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, So as I said, I I got to see the movie last night and absolutely loved it. Um, It was surprisingly just a very fresh take on it. Uh, um, And so I've got a ton of questions for you. But first one for sure is, how was this project explained to you as it's sort of a remake of a sequel, but also a remake of the remake, but it's really more of a reboot? That's a complicated question uh, I don't know I never saw it as um as a remake or as a reboot I, I always saw it since the moment I got the script from the producers um I always saw it as its own 
story, and uh, and this might be just me, uh, but the way I saw it is, and I thought that that was one of actually one of the things that attracted me because the script had the same names uh, of the kids from the original movie and from the remake, and um, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if on a, on, on on this series on the Friday Night uh, World. Every single kid, it doesn't matter if it's the same kid or not, every single kid throughout uh, the, the, all, the, all the movies always is Charlie. He always has the same name. He just represents this kid who has to face, wherever he goes, he has to face these, uh, these evil vampire who happens to live across the street, you know. Um, and, and I thought it was, that to me was, I don't know if they did it on purpose or not. I never actually got to talk to to Matt being the writer about that, uh, but that's how I interpreted the the whole idea of giving the kids the same name, and um, and I thought that was really cool. It was like James Bond um, in a completely different genre and in a completely different world, but it's like James Bond is always Jane, James Bond. You know, no matter who plays him, he's always that iconic character. And I thought that was that was a, a really cool way to approach the. This this world in, uh, of Friday Night. So that's how I saw it. And uh, so when I make the movie, I always saw it as a as a story that um, that it was just a new chapter in the whole uh, in the whole universe of, uh, of of the Friday Night World. You know. And I, I and that's a good way to look at it. I I was kind of thinking of it as I watched. I'm like, this may be like an alternate timeline where Jerry Dandridge is a woman and. These are the same kids, but they're finding themselves always in the same kind of battle with vampires. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I I also found it interesting. The producers of the Fright Night with that starred Colin Farrell also produced this. How did that kind of assist you in filming the movie? Did that have any impact at all? Uh, not really. I mean, they were super cool, uh, super supportive. Um, they made the, the the remake, as you said, and um, and they they took the project because I think the remake was with DreamWorks, and then they took the project to to Fox. And uh, when they approached me, they already had the script. They were looking for a director uh, who would come on board, and um, and I just they sent me the script. I I, I really liked it, and um, I just pitched in my ideas. And, um, and after that, we met with Fox. I met first with the producers, then with uh, with Fox, and. Uh, I mean, well, everything went well, so so it was just, uh, yeah, it was it, it, everything was really nice. They um they are really cool people. I actually got to meet them when I went on the set of the um the other movie, and they they seemed really heart you know excited about this just the fright night world in general. So that was really cool. Yeah, they're super cool. Mm-hmm. Um. So. The one thing that um, I, I really, really loved about the remake was it's the same. It's got aspects of the story, but it's also a neat concept. You've kind of went back into the traditional world of vampires and actually went to one of the original um, sources of vampire, vampire stories, which is um, Countess Elizabeth Bathory, and you kind of in, put that all in there. Um, how much input did you have on the script, and, and how did that? kind of evolve as the filming went on? That wasn't in the original script. In the original script, actually, um, the, the Jerry the Vampire was a, was a male vampire. And, uh, and when I read the script, 
at that time I hadn't seen the the sequel to the original one, so I, I, I wasn't aware that they already done that. But I thought, oh, it would be cool if we if we changed the vampire to to a female vampire. So I pitched that. That was one of the the ideas I pitched to the to the producers and then to Fox, and the, everybody got on board. Everybody really liked it, and. Um, and I guess I mean after watching the the, um, the sequel to to the original one, I was like, yeah, of course it's a no-brainer. If you make a sequel, <laughs> you make the <laughs> you make vampire a <laughs> uh, female, and everything works out. Yeah, exactly. But um, but uh, yeah, Matt Matt Bean, uh, the writer, he was super cool about the idea. He really got excited. He was afraid at the beginning because he didn't know how everything else was going to fall in, into place, how all the the relationships and the interactions between the characters we're going to change if we turn the, the the vampire into a female vampire. But uh, but he's super easy to work with and, and, and really cool guy, really creative. So so he made it all work, and uh, and at the end, everybody was really, really happy with the results. So uh, so it did evolve. And then, of course, once we once we created the, the, the female vampire, we wanted to ground it on some sort of, like, mythology... So she didn't just feel like she just came out of, of thin air. So, of course, Elizabeth Bathory, I've always been a fan of, of her story just because of the insanity of all the of all the, the stuff that happened with her. So uh, so she was, again, like a no-brainer to try to, to, to make it work with, with her uh, mythology and, uh, and just kind of like grounded on, on something that, that actually happened, you know? And, yeah, and that's the creepy part is that that was a true story too, which I always that always just throws me that she got away with it, and and because she was royalty and didn't get they didn't even execute her they just walled her up in her, in her castle and kept her alive. Yeah, just pure madness. The whole the whole story is a uh, is a uh, human insanity at, at its best. Oh yeah. Um, so the one thing that I wanted to ask about, cause she was just phenomenal and, and, and I got to interview her, um, was Jamie Murray. How did, how did you cast her in this role? Because she is just, just amazing in this. Yeah. Jamie was super, super cool. Uh, we cast her, we, she was always on the top five of, of, of the actresses that we wanted to, to approach with the project. Uh, Fox was really, really into her. Um, same with the producer. So it was just uh, we were looking for that for that actress uh, actress who could play both sides of the of the of the Jerry uh, character, which was like she needed to be sexy uh, and, and and hot, and but at the same time she needed to be really strong, you know. So so the kids and the audience also can be afraid of her and. Um, and and bring that to the screen. So so the so Jamie was uh, pretty much fit the bill completely. And uh, yeah, it was uh, it was really cool working with her. And uh, she came really prepared. She knew exactly what she wanted to do. So so she made my life a, a lot easier in that sense. Well, and and she did a ton of research too. It sounds like for this. Yeah, she read a lot. She read a lot about Elizabeth Bathory, and, and she got into that mood of like dark, uh, dark things. And uh, she she really did her job and uh, uh, did her homework, and uh, it just it was, it was a pleasure working with her. That is awesome. Um, the one thing I found, uh, I, I after doing some research into it, I couldn't believe was like the entire main cast is they're all British. 
and they're and they're doing such a great job playing American characters, yeah. but I had no idea. Yeah, it was funny because uh, actually that was one of the conversations that I had with with Jamie. All the kids were doing American accent, and she's British as well, and uh, we all wanted her to to play the British accent because uh, because it gives her that that sense of charm and. And then being a smart person, all the stuff that that is uh, attached to the to the British act and the, all that the, the we all uh, familiar with, and she wanted to play a Romanian accent, so it was funny because uh, she was the only one who could actually talk with her natural uh, that we wanted <laughs> to 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 her to talk to, to her with her natural accent, and she actually wanted to change it, so it was funny, but uh, but it all worked out, and uh, yeah, I think. Uh, they did a, they, all of the kids also, um, uh, Will and, and Chris and Sasha and, uh, and, um, they did a really, really good job, uh, playing, playing the characters and also they came really prepared. Um, they knew exactly what they wanted to do with the characters and, uh, super, super, uh, down to, to, to ground and they knew, they, they will do anything like on that, uh, pool that was filled with blood that thing was not easy to work in because they were always wet and we shot there for like four days and um they were troopers they never complained they never they didn't it was just always they wanted to work and do their best so so again it was pleasure working with with all of them well that was one thing i was going to ask about because it there really was a lot of time in that red water. How difficult was it filming for you and those poor kids in that? Because it had to just suck. <laughs> it did. It was literally <laughs> did. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was really difficult. It was really complicated because once you get into the the wet, uh, they basically have to stay to stay wet. You know, so. Um, it just every day everything moved really slow. The camera you have to be careful so nothing will fall into the pool. And that pool was pretty deep as well and, 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 and big. So everything moved really slow. They had to be constantly wet. Um the water was warm up. Actually it was like it worked as a as a pool. It had a it had a filter. The water was running through so it wouldn't it wouldn't go bad. The 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 sugar in um in the in the in the in the in the in the, in the water but um and and the temperature of the water was controlled but but no matter what it was, it was just like them getting out of that out of that thing all wet um during breaks or during setups it was just it was just a a, a very difficult i don't want to call it a nightmare because it was fun, but it was really difficult uh to shoot on those those days. <laughs> Well, and, and the one thing I wanted to, to say was I really loved the style of this movie. I liked the fact that you, you utilized, like, the bat sonar, and it was more practical-looking effects instead of CG, which was great. Um, but I really liked, um, as well, the digital comic that you guys did in the middle of the movie where you're talking about her her history and I was wondering, was there ever any idea of like releasing something like that to tie in with the movie? Because I would love to have that on my iPad. Oh, you should have. You, we should have talked to you earlier. That's a really cool idea. No, we never <laughs> thought of that. Actually, that comic book thing was was one of those things that it was more than anything was a way was a creative way 
to solve a, a, a logistical problem. Uh, on the original script, that that story it was really big. It, even, it was really massive, even bigger than than what it is now in the final cut. And there was no way. We only had 23 days to shoot the whole movie, so there was no way we could shoot on top of everything that background story for Elizabeth Bathory or before when it was the male vampire for the male vampire. So um, so I was just trying to figure out a way that we could still have that in the movie, but without having to subtract days from our shooting schedule. And uh, and that was one of the things that I pitched to the, to the producers and... Um, and they also like really, really liked it. Uh, they were like, "Oh, that that would be really, really fun." And of course, the, the whole idea started evolving from the from the original pitch of turning into a comic book. But uh, it was mostly just a way to try to save our butts, so we could <laughs> shoot the whole movie and uh, still have time to tell that that background story for for the vampire. And the guys who did the the comic book, uh, the animation, were great. Super, super super creative and they, they give us a lot of feedback. Uh, so that was, that was also lots of fun. My editor, Don Adams also came up with a bunch of like the images, uh, um, and the, the animation, you know, when you, when you see the, the Hindenburg, that was his idea. And, uh, so everybody got into it and it was fun to come up with the whole, to tell the whole story in, a, in that, uh, in that way. Yeah, I, I love that. I thought that was a really neat little piece of of, of uh, animation, and and I was like, ah, this is a great way. This is actually what people would be doing now. Um, so, and and another thing I loved was the fact that you filmed in Romania, and and it looks so beautiful. And I just was wondering how it was to actually film in the place where all of this kind of stuff actually happened, and 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 where Vlad the Impaler was from. Yeah, I was really excited about that. Uh, when the script was written in Romania, um, and uh, and I thought that was really, really, really clever. Um, I'm sure part of the reasons was because, of course, uh, financially, uh, finan- financially that makes sense to go to Romania um, for a movie like this. But I also thought it was super cool to go and actually shoot in the place where you have all these gothic architecture and uh, you have the, the castle that you have you get so much production value out of these uh, out of just going there and uh, shooting in these places that uh, that to me was just it was just an adventure and uh, going there people were super cool uh, all the members of the crew all the heads of the departments were really really nice people super creative super hard workers so uh, so it was a really really good experience and uh, I think we got so much uh, production value that we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to to get any other way um, by just going there and shooting in the real in the real place. It was it was absolutely beautiful. I, I actually got to go there once, and um, when I turned eighteen, I had my birthday in Romania. It was interesting, and uh, it was oh it wow. Was so, it was so beautiful there, and I I love it when I see films that that actually kind of take part in that area and take part in the history of it as well. Well, Eduardo, I think we're about to run out of time, but I, I wanted to, one more question for you really quickly. If, if Fright Night 2, the new blood does well, which I hope I'm, I'm doing my best and I hope, I hope other people um, flock to this because it really is a great film. Um, would you be interested in, in like continuing this as a franchise and possibly returning to like the idea you said where these kids have to, 
this is always going to happen. This is going to be an ongoing thing in these films. Yeah, I, I bought my DVD, so uh, my, my Blu-ray, so at least they're going to sell one. I know that for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'd love to. It, it, it does well, and um, and everybody is, is happy at Fox. Uh, I, I love working with, with, with all the actors, as I said, and I, and I love the world of, of Friday Night. So uh, I would love to, to come back and uh, revisit the story and, and see what we can do next, of course. Wonderful. I hope it. I hope it happens because I really enjoyed your vision of it, and and I think it was a great film with a great cast. And and uh, I'm going to do my best to get the word out for you. And and thank you again for joining us on the show. I really uh, really had fun talking to you. And and please, everybody, go see, go buy, go rent Fright Night Two: The New Blood. It comes out on October first. Great. Thank you so much, Jessica. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Eduardo. Bye bye. <laughs> 